Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of 42 to Doomsday. My name is Mark. And I'm Robert. And tonight it's Doctor Who Swap Force. So first up, Mark, we're going to talk about the two trailers the BBC have released in the last 24 hours uh, related to the 50th anniversary special. Uh, the first one, uh, which was leaked by our uh, compadres in Spain. Bless the Spain. Viva España, as we say at many, many Italian weddings. Um, the, uh, the, there was a trailer, a 40-second trailer released, uh, leaked to the internet uh, with uh, Spanish subtitles. Um, what did you think of that uh, trailer, Mark? Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it now. It sort of pushes all the buttons for me. You know, you sort of watch it and it gets the heart started and sort of uh, exceeded my... Well, we're only looking at a two-minute trailer, so it's hard to know what the story's going to be like. I'm sure there's other people who'll be spending hours thinking what the story's going to be and posting it on the forum somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I think it actually looks looks quite good. I'm actually, yeah, looking forward to it. What about you? Well, unlike the Enemy of the World trailer, uh, which gave away everything in the Enemy of the World... Um, I mean, this this gives you a flavour of what's going on. There's there's obviously uh, some money being spent on the uh, the epic space battle at the start of it with a, a you know a sky full of um, Dalek sources combating something. It, it, it's a bit busy, so you weren't quite sure what exactly was going on. But uh, it looked really good, and of course, uh, spoilers: the the Daleks uh, clearly invade uh, Gallifrey. Um, I mean, that's 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 fairly obvious from uh, from what's going on in the visuals there. Uh, and but the second one, I, I actually like the second one a bit more because you had a bit of more of the sort of the character interaction moments. So, uh, as as you would expect in a in a multi doctor story. So whilst it's fairly obvious you're not going to get eleven doctors um, appearing, you're obviously clearly going to get uh, touches of the past. And I mean, you saw the fourth doctor inspired scarf around that uh, character's neck. Uh, so clearly we're going to be getting touches of the past like that. But I mean, there's the the, the fun interaction with. Uh, with Tennant and Smith, where they're just brandishing their, their sonic screwdrivers, and then of course there's there's more uh, there's more interaction with Hurt than what we've previously uh, previously understood to to have occurred because you know in the name of the Doctor it was if the the Hurt Doctor was anathema to the other Doctors, but uh, they've obviously been forced to uh, to interact for whatever is going on, whatever threat they face. So um, yeah, I, I liked it, full of colour and movement, and um, some character uh, character moments. A la the three Doctors, I'm sure there'll be the equivalent of the you know the the dandy and the clown uh, comment from the first Doctor in this, probably you know uttered by by Hurt, but um, yeah, it looks good, it looks very good. I'm, my expectations have been lifted. There was uh, a nice little touch when uh, Tennant was commenting around uh, Matt Smith's uh, console room. Tennant goes, "I don't like it," or something like that, and then to see Matt Smith's crestfallen face, it's like mm, that's good. It really, I mean, it, just that one little moment there drives home to me that we probably ha- not had enough of Matt Smith. I find it a pity that. Um, We've, he's, we're, going. He's, go, he's going in a sense I mean I've said before better to go out too early than too late but it would have been nice to have a because we, we've effectively lost a full season of his stories over the last couple of years and, and you can understand the reasoning behind that I mean there's budget issues and, and, and workloads and all that sort of thing but despite the, the script sometimes letting him down I've, I've, I've always thought that Matt Smith has been a real real fine for the show and uh, a, a, a great actor in the role but um, he's going he'll be gone in, uh, in ooh Ooh, in about six weeks' time, actually. But uh, and 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 actually seeing Tennant again, Tennant seeing Tennant again was because I've been watching some shows that Tennant's been in. He's he's quite in demand in the UK, 
Uh, I mean, the politician's husband and, and literally the escape artist. And Broadchurch as well. That was great. Just to see him again in the role uh, brought a smile to my face. So I'm sure there'll be more serious moments, but the Sonic Screwdriver comparison, um, which uh, is pure Moffat, absolutely pure Moffat, um, was just, you know, <laughs> made me laugh. Made me laugh. I am looking forward to watching uh, David T back in action. Well, I mean, he's a great popular actor, I think. I mean, he's doing great work. His performance in Richard II has been lauded um, up and down the country. Uh, there was a, a review of it on Radio 4 I heard a week or two back where they just, they, they loved his performance and they loved what he brought to the role and, and the differences, you know, just the, 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 the wonderful production around him. And uh, it just goes to show that while well, he's a great popular actor in shows, as we mentioned, like Broadchurch, um, he does he does do the air quotes serious stuff uh, very very well and look at the uh, hair extensions he's got they're quite a fed of engineering aren't they but yes those hair extensions um, that he uh, I think he had on display for the the, uh, the BFI screening a, a month or so back um, yeah wonderful wonderful work by someone <laughs> Mark and I set ourselves the challenge uh, this week, considering it's the 50th anniversary and we're looking at the classic series and the new series together, to look at updating classic series uh, and re- and redoing them in the style of the new series and what the new series could bring to these classic series stories. So, Mark, um, what uh, what story is your first cab off the rank? Well, the first uh, one I'm going to get plumb for is the uh, Hartnell serial, The Ark. Moffat loves Timey Wimey. I'd have uh, the David Tennant Doctor and Martha Jones arrive. Uh, she has a slight cold, uh, unbeknownst to her, infects the population. Uh, they leave, and then uh, two minutes later, they return to the same spot, and the uh, cold that she had mutates into a killer bug, and which she and the Doctor has to uh, cure. Uh, also, you'd probably have the monoids in there, but not having them as or beetle hair style uh, monsters. Just have them a bit more scarier. Keep the same subplot about the monoids taking over, but you could knock it all over in 45 minutes quite easily, I think. No, I think you could. I mean, And it would work with Martha being a, a doctor as well, realising uh, what it is she's exactly done. And given the fact that the, 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 the new series, there's, there's greater emotional depth um, in all the characters... You could have her uh, realizing the, the you know the full horror of what she's done and being you know absolutely frustrated and, and, and angry about it and wanting to you know go that extra extra mile to finding a cure. Well, I suppose the doctor would probably take a, a, a longer a longer view that um, you know uh, in the in the greater course of history these things happen and there's not much that you can do about it. But um, I think she probably guilt she would guilt him into actually you know working to fix things. What about you, Rob? I was uh, up in the air about. Two stories. I, I, I was originally going to go with the Tenth Planet because you could marry up the uh, the, the much improved special effects and make the original looking Cybermen or the original Cybermen look much more ghastly than how they appeared in the Tenth Planet. But then I thought, well, you could do that, but um, why not go for an even better story, an even better Cyberman story? And uh, this is where I cheated a bit, and I plumped for uh, Spare Parts, the big Finnish audio written by Mark Platt. Now I consider Spare Parts which is a Cyberman origin story, even earlier than The Tenth Planet. I, th- I consider Spare Parts to be probably in the top two or three um, audios that Big Finish has released over the last decade and a bit. Um, it ha- it actually prefigures the new series a great deal. Um, there's, uh, And this is a theme we're going to probably return to time and time again during the course of this discussion. But there is, there's obviously the adventure side uh, to it, and, and there's a mystery to be solved, you know, what exactly is going on. But it's also the emotional side, uh, which 
And we also have to remember that um, the parts of this story were lifted um, with credit. The Rise of the Cybermen, where there's the uh, the scene with the, uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, people from, from, from England have been uh, converted wholesale and the, the doctor comes across a cyber, uh, a recent conversion who sort of is struggling with her, you know, the, the emotional changeover. Uh, and that's lifted straight from Spare Parts. But uh, Spare Parts does it much, 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 much better than the two-part Cyberman origin story in the new series. So you would have, um, I mean, in a sense, you could probably have Eccleston and and uh, and Rose, or Eccleston and Billy Piper, in this particular story, where you would have Eccleston's righteous fury about what he's seeing going on around him and his desperation to perhaps, you know, intervene and stop what's going on. I mean, if you could sort of change the or channel the urge of the people of Mondas to survive under any costs down a different path would be better than simply trying to to um to just kill it in its cradle basically exactly and and rose would be effective as that person who be, who who befriends a young woman who's one of the main characters in spare parts who is up for conversion and 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 then seeing the full horror of that brought home to her and her family in their own living room. I mean, so much of Doctor Who is outside of, of classic series is outside the domestic, uh, and you see a lot of that, of course, in, in the new series, especially in that first season with uh, with Eccleston and Billy Piper. Um, so I, I I would think that you'd, you'd have a, a larger scale, uh, but very deeply emotional um, a story. And and again, you could you could go with the full horror of of the cyber conversion of a primitive cyber conversion from the very beginning, where it's a mixture of, you know, the living and the cybernetic all into one, and you know you'd have a, someone's half cyber converted face or features, uh, there just sort of turning to the camera and 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 Rose's horrified reaction. So I mean, the story would essentially be the same, obviously a better budget. Um, you could probably make it. Um, you could probably make it into a two, you know, two-parter, uh, a la Rise of the Cybermen, but uh, as opposed to Rise of the Cybermen, which I think is an awful, awful story, mm. the two-parter. Uh, there don't appear to be any good Cybermen stories in the new series, and there's very, very few in the classic series. I don't think there's been a decent Cybermen story since Earthshock. And I don't think there was, and there wasn't much of any good ones before Earthshock. The Cybermen have been, I mean, they're just a generic robotic race, really. You know, other than Earthshock, where the Doctor challenges them about their emotions and and, and then their lack of emotions, it's it's the Cybermen represent a massive, um, a massive forty-seven year missed opportunity, basically. Anyway, but that's a, that's a topic for another discussion, perhaps. So my next one would be the Ark in Space, as you had in yours. Uh, I'll go for Chris Eccleston. I can just imagine him doing the uh, Homo Sapien speech that uh, Tom Baker did so well. I can just hear him in his northern accent knocking it out of the park, to be honest. I'd have Rose in there as well. Again, just do a 45-minute version of it. I just think that would work quite well. When Eccleston is on fire, like he was in the early part of Dalek, where there's that, you know, spittle spraying righteous fury. That's, I mean, it, it, it echoes um, Tom Baker's early portrayal, where he could, you know, rise to the challenge of being, you know, angry about an injustice or something that's, that's around him. Um, Eccleston takes it that extra step far, but clearly, you know, the Eccleston portrayal of the Doctor is, is, is a very, very damaged individual, whereas um, the Tom Baker portrayal is, is clearly just, you know, very put upon about these trivial things that are sort of laid on his doorstep that he has to deal with. So, What about you? Well, my next one, um, inspired by the return of the two missing serials, uh, would be Enemy of the World. Now, at six episodes, it's it's just a bit too long. But for the new series, I'd strip it right down to um, two parts, two 40-odd-minute episodes, 
and I'd, I'd I'd strip out all the all the flab right out of it. I'd turn it into a complete political thriller, and I'd have Capaldi as actually the Doctor playing uh, playing you know the role of the Doctor and the role of Salamander or Malcolm Tucker or Malcolm Tucker. But I mean it. it it would really work as a taut political thriller um, where you have the Doctor basically thrown into this um, in, in, into this uh, plan by the, you know, the, in quotes, rebels to, to, to bring down Salamander. And, and then there's the machinations going on all around him. Uh, and then, of course, there's the, the reveal of, you know, uh, Salamander. We might want to change Salamander's name and origins. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. But make him a an exact duplicate of the Doctor, and the Doctor, you know, basically has to, as as the Trouton Doctor did, follow the same sort of thing to un- unwillingly, unwillingly at the start, and then as he goes through, as more is revealed, his unwillingness at the beginning uh, is borne out by the fact that the people he, well, one of the people he's working for, is clearly working for his own own objectives and using the Doctor as a tool to bring Salamander down so that he can emerge triumphant, uh, the Giles Kent character. But you could even make the Giles Kent character into a woman. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't want to make it all male heavy because you'll have the Doctor and Salamander in major roles. So the Giles Kent character could become a woman who's, you know, um, sick and tired of uh, being regarded as a second fiddle and, uh, and, and wanting to, um, and wanting to uh, improve the world uh, with her, uh, <laughs> under her imprimatur. So I think you could turn it into a really good, uh, tight uh, thriller with all the action and adventure that's, that's promised in the first episode of the original. Uh, you know, the helicopter and the chase scenes and all that sort of thing. And then you could actually do a bit of, uh, with a, some clever accounting, uh, visit some of these Eastern European settings for some location shooting and, and give it that uh, that international cosmopolitan gloss. Or you can get Colin Baker to play uh, Giles Kent because he sort of looks like him now. That's an interesting choice with Enemy of the World. Would you have thought of that story before it had been recovered? Oh, no. Yeah, so it's made an impact on you, obviously. Oh, clearly, clearly. I mean, yeah. I originally thought that, that Matt Smith could play the dual role, but then having watched Nightmare and Silver, where he clearly, it was, I mean, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, he wasn't pleased with the, you know how much he was expected to remember, and that's a, that's a fair enough point, because it was very you know backwards and forth and special effects-y. But uh, I'd like a confrontation scene with Capaldi and Capaldi in the TARDIS and, uh, and, and and what happens there. So yeah, yours, your next one, Day of the Daleks Ooh. with uh, the Eleventh Doctor and Jenna. Um, it plays that whole fixed point in time scenario uh, where you can have you know the the Doctor and Clara racing to stop the gorillas from destroying you know the peace conference. Uh, you just imagine hordes of Daleks and a, and a reimagined Ogron. Uh, I think that would translate into a really taut 45-minute story. I don't know about extending it to two-parter because I think it might introduce some flab. Would you would you have it set in the 70s to take advantage of the Cold War setting? Probably, yes. Or even the early 80s, like, probably make this as a direct follow-on from Cold War. So set in 84 and maybe have some sort of uh, unknowns to everybody else secret peace conference as well. Yeah, you could probably do that. You could probably actually have that in place of Cold War. Because Cold War doesn't, in my opinion, whilst being you know nice or good, I don't think it makes much of the Cold War setting as it, as, it, as it could. Um, um, but yeah, no, that sounds good actually. I'd, I'd 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 like to see an updated version of the Day of the Daleks, you know, dead set in the Cold War and shown on the big screen, like uh, the uh, revisited version was uh, was shown a couple of years ago in Melbourne. That was a great. That was great seeing it on a big screen. When was that show? There was a special screening of it. I think it was last year, the year before. When I can't even remember that this came out. But uh, Dan Hall was in the country as well. I think I mentioned it in the previous podcast, and uh, he had a bit of a Q and A session with him. And then they showed the whole four 
uh, re, uh, the reimagined version of it, the special edition of it, on the uh, big screen at the Jam Factory. It was great. I um just we'd, we've diverged slightly, but um, I that that was one, one of the um theaters in in Melbourne was screening uh the one of the Dalek movies, Dalek Invasion of Earth, twenty one fifty AD, um, and I was I was very very sad to 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 have read that listing in the paper on a day that I was on the other side of the city at a children's party. Uh, otherwise, I would have loved to have gone and seen it on the big screen because uh, all I've ever seen it was uh, during the 80s on the television set and then uh, I've obviously got my DVD somewhere. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think sometimes th- th- those things would be wonderful to see on a big screen. I mean, you could you could show uh, Spearhead from Space or the TV movie because they'd, you know, they'd look really good on the bigger screen. What about you, Rob? What was your next one? Well, we'll jump forward to um, the McCoy era, and I'd go with um, Paradise Towers. Oh. Yes. Sorry for that. Now, as I said in a previous podcast, I'd, I'd turn this essentially into a haunted house story. Uh, a few nights ago, I watched the Japanese version, of the, sorry, the original version of Dark Water, the Japanese version, which is set in an apartment block um, and some very, very creepy goings on. Um, so I would basically use that opportunity to uh, tone down the garishness and make it very dark and very dangerous. I mean, you could, you know, for a bit of contrast, you could keep the cannibalistic old biddies uh, in the background. But um, a la Dark Water, with its very, very oppressive, atm- very oppressive atmosphere, uh, and some, you know, with some clever camera mo- camera work, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 some, you know, just some decent use of, of special effects, you could turn that into a really creepy, really creepy uh, story. Uh, and you could probably get rid of a lot of the, uh, you know, the extra bits like the, the the creepy crawly in the in the bottom of the pool and then and the character going for a swim um, and all that sort of thing. But I, I think Paradise Towers as a as a tea time horror story, uh, you know, on a Saturday night on, on the BBC with a really dark atmosphere and a what the what in goodness's name is going on with a, with a revelation at the end. And you could so, sort of have a scientific revelation at the end if you wanted to, if you don't want to go down the supernatural route. You could, but Paradise Towers as a, as a haunted house, uh, updated to a modern setting, I think would work. So you probably would replace Hyde with this if you had to. Oh no, I would never replace Hyde. I'd never replace Hyde, but I'd probably drop it into a, se- a season that that, that that would need this as a as a contrast. Mm. Not entirely sure who. I probably put. Well, the Matt Smith, uh, the, the, sorry, the Eleventh Doctor. There was the um, the God Complex had a haunted hotel sort of thing. So he's already had his go at that. So I'd probably give that to give this one to Tennant and 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 maybe Martha because I like my haunted house stories, and uh, and the dark. As I said, I watched Dark Water a few nights ago, and that um, you know those uh, sort of the creepy things sort of hidden in the corner of the television emerging, and people looking at security monitors and not seeing what we're seeing, and and uh, and, and and people reacting to things just out of the corner of their eyes. Paradise Towers could turn from something really garish, a la the McCoy era, into something really spooky. Yeah, it'd be like, uh, what's that film? Paranormal Activity, but good? Uh, Gooder, definitely. For my next one, I would go for Survival with Tenant's Doctor. And I can't work out whether Rose or Martha. I'd probably have to go for Rose. Um, I could see this replacing Fear Her. I think I can see a lot of things replacing Fear Her. But I think this would actually work so much better than Fear Her. 
and I would have got John Sim in as a restrained master. Is that possible, given what we saw? The performance Sim did, um, he was basically, he was told by RTD to play it like that. And I, I've heard, uh, and I can't remember where, unofficially, that he'd like to have another go where he put in a more restrained performance because he was, he was told to play crazy-ass ape man. Yeah, and that was a real shame. It worked, I think, in some places, especially in the end of time. It just didn't work. Uh, I can just see him giving a really good restrained performance on that and having better-looking cat people, as it were. Because, I mean, survival is a good story. And I just think now it would work quite well in the, in the modern series with Rose, Council Estate. Hayes and Rose are interchangeable. Yeah, you'd swap one out for the other, obviously. Yeah, ex- exactly right. So, um, yeah, I think that would work really well. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, because survival is basically... You can see that survival, in part, is a template for, for that first series of The Return Show. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the Council Estate and the Troubled Children and... Well, not Troubled Children, but, you know, that sort of ethos... Yeah, um, that whole atmosphere there. Yeah, so that, that works. That works. I like that. I like that very much. What about your next one? So my next story uh, would be Earthshock. Um, the the production team could go the whole hog and make it the diehard action thriller that so would ache to do, but lack the skill and the budget to actually uh, bring up to the screen. Uh, not knocking Earthshock. I mean, it is it is one of those standout moments in the series. But with the with the budget and uh, and a really streamlined story, you could turn it into a complete action thriller with the same ending. Um, you'd you would uh, you would use that opportunity. I mean, if if the production team was ever really going to go, you know, be, be gutsy and actually kill off a character, you could you probably use this instead of Doomsday. And instead of having uh, Rose locked in another dimension, you'd have Rose dead at the end. You know, valiantly trying to steer the the, the spaceship out of Earth orbit or doing something to steer it out of Earth orbit. Um, and you would again, like a lot of these other stories, you would use the extra budget and the, and the, the, the SFX to update the SFX, uh, make the Cybermen, um, you know, even more imposing, um, and and make uh, and just make the general special effects uh, even better than what we got. Um, you could also inject that emotional strain into it because this would be the first time I think that Rose would have uh, would have encountered the Cybermen, discounting you know the rise of the Cybermen disaster. Um, and her not really comprehending the, you know, or the, just the full horror of the, the Cybermen uh, and what they are. And, and the doctor sort of, the doctor, this tenant doctor could sort of replicate what Davison said in his little speech about, you know, uh, you know the, them lacking emotions completely, et cetera, et cetera. I think you could make that really work. And then with the, the streamlined storytelling that is a, a telltale sign of the, the new series, uh, I think Earthshock could be, you know, a really hard-hitting, really, you know, fast-moving uh, action-adventure with a really poignant, terrible ending where, again, you'd have that sort of scene like from Doomsday where there's the tenant, you know, the Tenth Doctor on one side of the dimensional wall and, and Rose on the other. In this instance, you'd have uh, the Tenth Doctor on one side of the sliding door, which has now been locked, and, and Rose uh, on the other side, guiding the, trying to guide the ship away from Earth orbit and failing uh, ultimately. Um, though some some people would say, well, why would you pick Rose when she's got so much to live for at home? But um, I'm just looking for someone who, who who might react in an emotional way whilst surrounded by unemotional beings. That's a good pick, that actually. Um, and I'd like to see the Cybermen. I actually like the redesigned Cybermen from Nightmare and Silver, and I would like to see that, that design in that uh, interpretation of the story. And with uh, Nick Briggs not doing catchphrases, I mean, he's, he's obviously uh, the script uh, called for that, but not doing the delete, 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 but actually have the sort of the same dialogue happening with the cyber leader. Um, 
and and the doctor as opposed to you know simple two or three line catchphrases as they've been reduced to uh, now unfortunately oh no i would in some instances you would be lifting um wholesale elements of the script from the original productions and, and using them but uh yeah no exactly yeah, I think the two part a two parter for that would be good because I do like the initial setup for a shock where you've got the mystery about the bomb and, and the and the, the silent robots at the beginning. I, I do quite like that. Yeah, you would need that contrast with the earthbound mystery, you know, in in the caves or the tunnels, and then contrast that with the high tech uh, high tech spaceship. Uh, even though it is just a freighter, but the high tech spaceship in orbit or approaching orbit anyway so yeah oh it's a good one that one like you I lament the fact there's been no decent Cyberman story since 1982 I would have actually gone back further and uh, pulled out the invasion uh, with uh, the 11th Doctor and Amy Pond uh, I can just see hordes of Cybermen swarming through London uh, as a, a, a two part adventure and the whole build up with Tobias Vaughan uh, I mean you wouldn't cast Roger Lloyd Pack as Tobias Form, would you? No. After the brilliance of uh, Kevin Stoney. But um, yeah, I just I just think that the invasion still, even at eight episodes today, it still is a bloody good story and works really well. And I just think it would uh, it would benefit from a modern retelling as a two-parter with some uh, really, like you, high action sequences and uh yeah it'll just work i think translate extremely well and a proper unit instead of the sort of bland version we have today with you know real real characters you know in 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 the roles or the lead roles at unit but um you know i agree i I think invasion um sometimes gets i mean season six is not particularly memorable except for you know obviously the war games and, and invasion or the invasion sort of gets left aside a little bit sometimes so um allowing it its time in the sun uh, as a new series story, um, would give it. Uh, I think it would give it full justice. It'd be excellent. The coin a phrase. I'm going to be a bit of a smarty here and I'd just pick Caves of Androzani and I would not change one element of it at all. I would just, I would slap that on as a new series story and not change one one aspect of it. You'd update the Magma Monster or the Magma Beast, fair enough. Yeah. But just to show all these new series feely fans that classic series Doctor Who could be every bit as good as the series these kids have fallen in love with. Again, I mean, it would be, you know... It, uh, Caves of Androsani is, is essentially a Jake, Jacobean revenge fantasy on so many different levels, with the Doctor as the cast as the innocent trying valiantly to sort of sort things out and obviously ultimately failing. But it, it's in the failure that, that he emerges, you know, triumphant and magnificent. Uh, and I think that uh, something like that, just to prove to the fans today that the classic series Doctor Who is, is, is wonderful... And every bit deserving of their attention and appreciation. Um, so yeah, Caves of Androzani. I'd just go straight for that. Change the ending because Smith dies at the end. I would have that as Smith's uh, regeneration story. That would give him a wonderful, you know, wonderful um, send off that he's deserved after you know three or four years of, of, of really good service to the show and to, to the fans. Interesting choice, that one. I'm an interesting sort of guy. Uh, my very, 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 very final choice would be the Talons of Wing Chiang. Again, it's a it's a it's an excellent example of uh, of the classic series, but I would actually have this remade as a as a TV movie, a TV movie special event for uh, for, for the BBC. I'd probably show it uh, at Christmas in place of the Christmas story, 
And like I said, I, I turn it into a, a one and a half hour to two hour, you know, sprawling TV movie because it, it's the sort of show that actually deserves it. It's got multiple elements in it. It's got wonderful characters in it. Um, and it would just it would bring a whole lot of wonderful elements to that sort of that time of the year i mean it's largely set at night so you get that spooky atmosphere you 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 have you know the homicidal maniac from the future comeback who is um who's basically the inspiration in part for, uh, for, for you know or they've used the the jack the ripper murders as inspiration in part for his motivation and everyone loves a jack the ripper story um you've got um, you've got the, the two uh, Jago and Lightfoot characters as a bit of comedy light relief and you've got the Doctor and, and his companions sort of dropped into a scenario that's already in place and trying to work out what's going on all against the backdrop of Victorian London with all its sort of uh, its, uh, its differences and its contradictions um, and of course you could use that opportunity to update the giant rat so I mean that would be good and of course you know Sherlock Holmes is flavour of the month at the moment at the BBC and, and you know the, the, the fourth Doctor goes the whole Sherlock Holmes shtick there with the uh, the deer stalker and the and the cape and the and uh, and it just has that atmosphere of Sherlock Holmes, but you could update it uh, wonderfully well um, with uh, with with the new series injecting its sort of formula into it. So a big style TV movie uh, uh, adaptation or remake that you could even premiere in the cinemas. I think it would even work wonderfully well in the cinemas. My last choice, Rob, would be The Mind of Evil with Christopher Eccleston in the uh, in the title role, obviously, and uh, with Rose. And uh, probably I wouldn't have the master in it. I'd just have some other uh, international crackpot. So like what you said regarding The Enemy of the World, where you think it would make a really good uh, political thriller, I would strip uh, Mind of Evil right back as well and make it a really tight political thriller. Maybe don't put the Chinese delegation, maybe put the North Korean delegation, their flavour of the month and that sort of espionage uh, shenanigans. So, um, yeah, probably plump for, for Mind of Evil. Yeah, and you could, you could initially set it off, start it off as a small thing, like sit, sit in a prison and then use that opportunity to just sort of expand it right out and it becomes, you know, what's going on in the prison is it prefigures um, sort of uh, international uh, confrontation uh, by the end of it with nuclear weapons uh, aimed at each other. So that would work really well. Yeah, and get Sean Pertwee in as mailer. <laughs> I saw Sean Pertwee in, uh, I think it was an episode of Luther, one of the earlier series, and he was in a prison. He looked uh, quite menacing, and I think he'd do really, a really good turn as uh, as mailer. Sean Pertwee sails under the radar a lot of the time, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he's just one of those you know decent character actors who pops up in productions. I've started watching uh, the movie Event Horizon, uh, and he's in it as the pilot, and uh, I'm expecting him to come to a very bad end by the end of the movie but uh, just to see his name pop up there was uh, uh, was amusing well, interesting anyway as he gets older he looks more like his dad he, there is there is a lot of his father in his face mm. yes and as you say all he needs to do is just sort of abandon the crew cut and go for the curly and a cape and a cape yeah and a bit of Venetian Aikido hi hi <laughs> So, Rob, it's rushing towards the anniversary. What have you been watching uh, Who Was or reading Who Was recently? In part inspired by doing the podcast, I've started picking up issues of DWM. Uh, I I abandoned buying DWM about four or five years ago, uh, sometime during the Tenant era, because um, it's relentless promotion of the series uh, and the good times to be had by watching it really went, went against what I was personally experiencing watching the show. But that's by the by. But uh, inspired in part by the, doing the podcast, I've, I've started picking up um, 
DWMs, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a fair enough read. I mean, again, they're not going to be ripping into the into any, any perceived failings of the series because they're they're there effectively to promote it to the thirty odd thousand people who. Um, who purchase it every month, so that's fair enough. I mean, it, it can't be the DWB of the 21st century. Having read, uh, now, in Australia, uh, when they hit our news agencies, they're usually two or three months behind because we're getting the remainder copies from the from the UK. Um, so I picked up the uh, the issue with um, Eccleston and Billy Piper on the front where they talk about, um, they, they go back and look at uh, how the series came back to television screens in, uh, in 2005. But the bit that took my fancy was the very last uh, article on the last page which I think is meant to be a bit of entertaining filler. But in this issue, the uh, the writer did a bit of investigative journalism and started toasting up the, 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 recu- the recurrence of particular words in titles from the classic series and compared it against uh, words that uh, appeared multiple times in the new series. And uh, the, uh, the writer made the point that in the classic series, uh, the word doctor appeared very, very, very few times in the classic series. And in the new series, the word doctor appeared many, many, many more times uh, in, in the titles of, the, of new series episodes. And I think the point that he was trying to make, and which I picked up as well, was that the use of the word Doctor in the title was an example of the, the greater emotional depth, in quotation marks, the new series has. I mean, because, you know, if you, you throw the Doctor's name, effective name, into the series, in the ser- episode titles, you're, uh, you're indicating that it's more, instead of it being about the the planet of the monsters it's more about the emotions of the doctor or the the effect of this on the doctor and that sort of that's re- that reveals a lot about the the the, uh, the stance that the new series has taken where it's still uh, an adventure series but they've married that up with and I mean this is this is an open fact they've they've married that up with emotion you know more emotions with with the with the the, the companions and, and more emotions with the Doctor. I mean, you can see that straight from the very beginning of the Eccleston era, where we have a scarred Doctor, you know, sort of trying to come to terms with what happened beforehand, and we're going to see what that was exactly, I think, in the, um, in the, in the day of the Doctor. To Tennant's, um, you know, sort of more uh, emotional portrayal of it as well. Uh, and even into Smiths, who, uh, who who demonstrates you know more of the same. So that article, even though it was meant to be a, a sort of a funny uh, ending to the to the the, the issue of uh, that issue of Doctor Who magazine, it made a really good point about the new series, uh, like a lot of uh, TV drama, uh, looks as much at the plot uh, as it does at the emotions of the characters, and uh, and that's where Doctor Who is at today. So that's what I picked up from that article. When you were talking about that, that brought to mind season three uh, ending, Blast the Time Lords, where all of humanity. Uh, in desperation, look up to a satellite and start shouting out the doctor's name. You know, as an emotional uh, response. So I think the author there, his uh, his figures were slightly inflated by a couple of billion people. I mean, that's the that's the audience that's watching Doctor Who now. I mean, and uh, Russell T Davies was inspired a lot by, you know, the, the the TV series in the US, like uh, you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where again it's an adventure story, but it's married with the, the interpersonal relationships between the main characters. And, you know, I think viewers these days are conditioned to that sort of thing. Years of watching soaps, for instance, where it's, you know, it's incident and emotion, incident and emotion. Uh, and, and young kids these days are, are fed on a diet of that sort of thing in, in terms of what they're reading and young adventure, sorry, young adult novels, and also what they're seeing on TV and going to see at the movies. And, uh, and even, you know, you, even something as prosaic as, as music videos for, for, you know, any number of tens of thousands of uh, 
of, uh, of uh, songs. They all have that element of uh, some sort of emotion uh, coming through. So we, we live in an emotional age and it's, it's slapped onto our TVs. Now, sometimes I find it very mawkish. I mean, the, the example that you've given of The Last of the Time Lords, that was, that was just bat-poo crazy. I mean, none of that makes any sense in terms of a, you know, a, a narrative. But for the people watching it, it must have made a great deal of them, you know, almost swoon with what they were watching. I mean, you could or vomit. Well, it made me vomit. But it's that sort of it's that phenomena that's sort of emerged in the last, you know, few six months or so. The the feels where you know you that's you know, we used to call that the, the, the sort of the shiver down your back, um, where you're watching something and it evokes an emotional reaction. And now it's 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 termed the feels. It sounds like a '90s alternative band, The Feels. Dodgy haircuts, but With dodgy um, haircuts. Poe going around <laughs> dancing the missing episodes, <laughs> recoveries. There's a generation of fans who Poe go to Doctor Who. So, what are you? What have you seen or watched, Mark, or something that from the Doctor Who universe that's grabbed your attention this t- this time around? I received the other day the uh, the Doctor Who book, The Vault, which is being compiled by Marcus Hearn, and it's. Oh, uh, you got that, did you? I did. Ordered it from a, a bookseller overseas that doesn't pay tax. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a really well-packaged uh, tome. Some really great uh, pictures in there and some uh, artifacts, i.e. Uh, so some props that are still around from the 60s, for example. Uh, there was a photo of a helmet from the Space Pirates. This sort of looks at the the show uh, year by year. and Obviously, it does t- talk about uh, the, the wilderness years, as they call it, or... As I just call it, it just wasn't on the years. Put it down on your Christmas list to get because it's um it was extremely. I think it's been released locally here anyway now for about fifty bucks. I think from the ABC shop. So um, but yeah, definitely a, a worthy time. Uh, much better than the fortieth anniversary book, The Legend. It's not just a, a big fat episode guide. There's a bit more um fact around it, and uh, yeah, I, I've spent a couple of hours just just thumbing through it and really enjoying uh, reading it. The perfect coffee table book for Doctor Who fans? It would be an absolutely perfect coffee table book. I wouldn't leave it on my coffee table, though. It'll probably get drawn on but um, and vandalised by my children. Not not out of malice, just because they just kids just do that sort of thing. Kids absolutely do that sort of thing. Yeah, and in terms of watching, I've uh, I'm nearly finished the Tenth Planet DVD that came out a few weeks ago. So oh, uh, I'm nice. just, I've just watched episodes one to three, which... Um, Hey, it was great to see uh, Restored. Uh, it's funny, I was watching 10th Planet. When I used to go to uh, Doctor Who Club meetings years ago, this is like 1986, I remember watching 10th Planet and um, the youngsters there, every time they used to put an old episode on, used to get the little tape recorders and shove it in front of the TV speaker. So for years I'd always seen 10th Planet obscured by little cassette recorders going across the front of the TV because these young kids are trying to capture the sound and which the sound was appalling anyway you couldn't make anything of it so to watch you watch 10th Planet restored and the view was unfettered by tape recording devices was an absolute joy it's actually a lot better story than what I remembered and um, I just got to watch episode uh, 4 which I'd seen before anyway but I just want to watch it again and get the whole context of it so uh, quite good now, um, are you prepared when watching episode four to see if the BBC has pulled the most magnificent shifty in history and instead of an animated version, they've actually found Tenth Planet Part 4? Or is the cat well and truly out of the bag on that one? It's, it's well and truly out of the bag because when you go into the episode selection uh, menu, there's an animated uh, screenshot with the words episode four on it. So it's definitely... Damn. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's animated for the moment. Yes, well, yes, yes. 
Yes, we'll discuss that episode three of our missing episode Omni uh, Rumor discussion. It'll be uh, the phase two Omni Rumor discussion, though. Phase two, that's right, that's right. But I think that's it, apart from that, who was... um, I've just finished series two of The West Wing, which is absolutely brilliant. Go and watch it. And who who would have thought at the end of season two that Die Straits Brothers in Arms could soar in an emotional uh, impact that uh, last the Time Lords could never do? Never, ever, ever do. And uh, just before we go, folks... um, just uh, need to tell you that there'll be a bit of a delay between the release of this uh, episode and when the next uh, full-length one comes out because Mark is going... To London, baby. Yeah. Ye old London town. Yes. What are you doing What are you doing in London, Mark? The XL convention. So if you're there, if you see a tall guy with glasses, you know, say hello. Say hello, say hello to David Tennant in full costume. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, I think we're going to the BFI after that to watch the episode, The Day of the Doctor, and then... I've got another couple of days in London to do um, Abbey Road and a few other things. Some non-Who things, which I think I'll, need, I'll probably need to do to get out of my system. I'll be hooed mm. out, to quote J&T, by that time. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So uh, enjoy, your tri- enjoy your trip to uh, the mother country. It'll be part of a colonial contingent, I'm sure, invading the XL convention. Yeah, there's a few. I'll, uh, I'll try and tweet from the, uh, from the event if I can get a really good data plan. <laughs> Over the UK, I'm not going to be incurring global roaming charges. Uh, on that point, um, we'll just uh, mention that uh, you can always contact us on uh, our Twitter feed uh, at 42 to Doomsday. You can always drop us an email, uh, 42 to Doomsday at Gmail, or you can leave a message on our blog, uh, 42 to Doomsday dot wordpress dot com. Always uh, value your feedback and input. So until next time, I've been Robert and I've been Mark. Back with you next time. Mm-hmm.